Welcome to The Honest Report. A weekly podcast analyzing media coverage of the Arab-Israeli conflict, anti-Semitism, and radical Islamic terrorism. The Islamic State group posted a video calling on Palestinians to attack Israeli soldiers and civilians. At least five killed in B'nai Brak after the assailant went on a shooting spree firing from a motorcycle. Here's your host, Rob Walker. Israel may not often get a fair shake in the news media, but what's the cause and the solution? Is Israel a victim of its own success? Is the problem inherent bias on the part of journalists and editors? Is it a more sophisticated messaging on the part of anti-Israel activists? Or is it the complexity of the conflict that makes Israel inevitably have a harder time? Few individuals know the truth better than Avi Meir. Meir has served as the senior spokesperson for the American Jewish Committee, the international spokesperson for the Jewish Agency for Israel, as well as a foreign media liaison for the Israel Defense Forces. In this week's episode of the Honest Report podcast, we sit down with Avi Meir to discuss the reality of today's journalists working inside Israel, why coverage of the Jewish state looks the way it does, and what can be done to ensure the truth about Israel gets more airtime and coverage in the future. Welcome to the Honest Report podcast. Avi, we are uh, pleased to have you join our podcast today. Really wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously you have your finger on the pulse very well in terms of the uh, the news media landscape in Israel and foreign correspondents working in Israel. And that really is the question, which is, first of all, how would you describe, how would you articulate you know, Israel's image as far as these journalists and reporters are concerned. Um, do you think it's getting a fair shake and why not? Um, and the second part of that question really is, what's the cause of that? Is it is it laziness? Is it bias? Is it ignorance? Is it that journalists are just being dropped um, from other projects uh, and portfolios into the Middle East with little background? Or is there uh, really a more inherent uh, kind of a gender bias taking place here? I, I think that... Um... Israel is uh, present in the minds of many around the world, um, sometimes to an extent that uh, should raise eyebrows. Um, I think that this is, on the one hand, a region that is important to people of a variety of faiths and backgrounds. And so it's perhaps natural that there would be some uh, interest in what goes on here. But the coverage that the region receives, particularly um, scrutiny of Israeli actions, I think, is significantly out of proportion to um, its relative importance in the world. Um, certainly, when there are attempts to link any uh, ill under the sun to Israel um, and perhaps indirectly to Jews, um, that is something that should raise question marks. And I think it does amongst those of us who are concerned about these issues. Um, but I will say that the journalists who are actually in Israel um, and in the Palestinian territories covering this work, for the most part, are, are serious professionals doing a very difficult job under almost impossible circumstances. This is a very complicated part of the world. And, and that actually is a sentence that um, many of Israel's detractors bristle at, and they say, what are you talking about? It's very, very simple. What's happening is X or Y or Z. And, and the reality, of course, those of us who follow it know, uh, this is actually a very complex region, that there are many different perspectives and narratives that intertwine to create the stories that we see in the news media. Um, and that's not something that lends itself to easy digestion um, on the part of, of those media outlets. Um, and so while there are certainly attempts to 
I think, uh, uh, condense what's happening in this part of the world to a 280-character tweet or to a brief news item, um, that often is a very poor representation of what happens in this part of the world. And the, the ultimate result um, is that the, the, those who consume the news media, be it in Canada, in the United States, or elsewhere in the world, end up getting a skewed version of what actually happens here because they simply cannot comprehend. The, 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 the news media cannot convey um, in a brief uh, item, in a news story, the complexity of everything that happens here. And the easier story to tell um, is one of David versus Goliath, oppressor versus oppressed, and so on and so forth. And that's ultimately what gets the eyes, ears, um, and, and hearts and minds of, of those who consume the media around the world. Now, I mean, that's an interesting point, of course, about uh, the inability to convey complex you know, topics. But, you know, to play devil's advocate, I guess here, Avi, I mean, isn't that the case with any geopolitical uh, sort of issue in the world? Why is it that Israel specifically, A, garners the kind of attention that it does, um, and B, that the attention, and tell me if I'm wrong, but that the perception certainly is, is that it, the response uh, or the um, depiction of Israel seems to be quite largely uh, hostile, or I would say um, oversimplistic, whereas is this the case all over the place with every geopolitical issue everywhere in the world? Or is this a uniquely or uniquely, uniquely uh, sort of Israel issue? I think that there is uh, there, there's some truth to both of, of the things that you just said. Um, on the one hand, um, it is certainly true that people tend to see this conflict through their own particular lenses. So an American will see what happens in Israel through an American lens. A South African will see it through a South African lens. A European will see it through a European lens. Um, and the lenses tend to be very much colored by their own national experiences, um, particularly those with regard to um, uh, occupation with the, uh, the presence of, of one entity, one empire in another land, um, what they see perhaps as racial conflict or racial oppression um, and that becomes the story in their own minds. And they have, in, in many cases, they, they actually can't help themselves uh, but to impose their own preconceived notions of what world events look like um, onto a, a situation that is, of course, completely different <laughs> than any of these, these national stories um, or, or national histories. And so, you know, when you have, um, uh, for example, uh, a South African news outlet, who of course will will be colored by the experience of apartheid, um, and they see what they uh, what they have been presented with, which is this this picture of oppressor versus oppressed. And of course, they have no choice in many respects, and, and at least the, the way they view it. Um, but to see this through a racial lens, of course, they'll draw the conclusion um, that this is exactly akin to what they uh, experienced back in South Africa up until the '90s. Now, again, those of us who follow the issues know that there's absolutely no parallel between what happens uh, in Israel and the territories and what happened in South Africa during the apartheid regime. And yet that is the lens through which they come to see what happens here. Um, at the same time, and you alluded to this earlier, there is, I think, something that is unique to this situation on the ground. Um, and that, quite frankly, is the presence of the Jews. Um, the fact that this is a uniquely Jewish story, that Israel is a Jewish state. Um, and so any notions that people might have had about Jews 
um, and about the role that Jews play in world affairs and in history and, and so on and so forth, those come to color their perceptions of what happens in Israel. And rightly or wrongly, and obviously I would say wrongly, um, there are those who have quite uh, pernicious and negative views of Jews, and that comes, comes through in how they perceive and, and present what happens in Israel. Now, it's certainly not the case that all, uh, all people or all journalists, all people who are dealing with this story and who are uh, responsible for conveying it to large audiences are anti-Semitic. That's, I think, an obvious statement. And yet, there are those who, when you parse their words, when you actually get to the root of what you're saying, um, you're forced to confront the reality that they have a certain perception of Jews that may indeed border on the anti-Semitic. Um, and that obviously will then transmit itself to, to their readers, their viewers, and so on and so forth. Now, um, let's talk about sort of the impact of the anti-Israel movement, specifically the BDS movement, um, and how they've sort of impacted the world of uh, news media. You wrote recently on Twitter that the BDS movement, for them, quote, anti-Semitism isn't a detour. It's both the main road and the ultimate destination. Um, you were talking about, uh, with respect to, there was a recent uh, report that came out that the uh, BDS activists in Boston had uh, sort of uh, identified the homes of prominent Jews in, in the city there. Tell us, how impactful has BDS messaging been on mainstream journalists? Has, has this sort of become a bit of a bug in the ear of a mainstream journalist who otherwise would be very straightforward, very honest, um, but sort of this constant, constant misinformation and disinformation eventually just gets into the back of the head subconsciously. They don't even realize it's coming from. Is that an impact or or is that not, uh, is that threat overblown? Well, I think First of all, it's important to realize that the BDS movement has been an abject failure when it comes to the B, the D, and the S. The, the, the number of boycotts, divestments, and sanctions that can be directly traced back to activism on the part of the BDS movement is, is negligible. Um, a handful of lesser-known artists, a, a, a company here or there, um, a small town council that passes a resolution that can't possibly be backed up by action, that's all the BDS movement has to show for its many years of activism on, on, uh, on behalf of this effort to destroy the state of Israel. Um, however, where it has been effective, and I think this is what you're alluding to in your question, um, is in shifting the conversation about Israel and the Palestinian territories um, in, in what I would regard as a fairly toxic way. Um, it has become the third rail of many conversations in uh, in various contexts, on college campuses, uh, and, and in, in uh, city councils, on corporate boards, and so on and so forth. It's just something that people don't want to touch. Um, in that respect, I would say BDS has been a great success, um, because that's exactly what they aim to do. I think they realized early on that actually they weren't going to BDS Israel out of existence. That was never going to happen. However, by subtly shifting the conversation around Israel, by making this um, something that people are simply uncomfortable talking about. Um, the fact that there is this effort, which again is ineffective, but that there is an effort to uh, exact BDS on, uh, on Israel and on its supporters. Um, this creates a certain uncomfortable environment in which those who would otherwise be inclined to openly support Israel, for example, Jewish students on college campuses, other individuals um, who have uh, certain predilections for Israel or for the Jews um, are are more afraid of doing that, um, are often intimidated from from doing that. Um, and so in that respect, I do think that they have 
uh, and, and, and can pat themselves on the back, I think, in a significant way. And that's why it's so important to those of us who um, are opposed to efforts to, uh, to blacken the only Jewish state in the world to stand up and say, this is an anti-Semitic movement. It is singling out the only Jewish state in ways that it would never uh, single out any other country in the world. That is the textbook definition of anti-Semitism. Um, and we need to make that point clear. Um, and we need to make sure that Israel is being depicted in ways that are truly reflective of what's happening on the ground and that are aligned with its, first of all, its relative place in the world, but also what, what would be expected of any other democracy facing similar threats in any part of the world. I think that that is something that we need to be insisting on as people who deeply care about what happens here in Israel um, in conversations about Israel across the globe. Now, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, that the, the BDS movement sort of pivoted, um, you know, fairly early on, or maybe it was a strategy from the get-go, you know, less about actually causing economic harm to Israel and more about delegitimizing Israel's existence. But sort of, you know, narrowing down specifically on the impact, do you think that this kind of repeated rhetoric used by anti-Israel activists about occupation, um, you know, apartheid, etc., do you think that this has had an impact on otherwise honest journalists, mainstream journalists who, you know, like I said, subconsciously, this has sort of gotten into their uh, into their writing style or have they been able to, in your experience, have they maintain a separation? I think it has changed the terms of the debate. I think that where in the past, these ugly and, and truly distorted phrases like apartheid um, would never have found their ways even into this conversation, um, they've been legitimized by the fact that they have been applied, obviously outrageously and, and without any uh, connection to reality to this part of the world and to this conversation. Um, and so I don't know that I would say that the journalists themselves have, uh, have had their views shifted by, uh, by BDS or by similar efforts against Israel and against the Jewish community. Um, but I would say that the terms of the conversation have shifted um, and that there has been greater legitimacy granted to those who seek to deny Israel's right to exist, who seek to deny the Jewish people their right to self-determination, that has become a much more legitimate part of public discourse than I think it ever has been uh, in the past. Um, and that, I think, is something that should be alarming to all of us. Ultimately, Zionism was and remains today a movement for equal rights. All we are saying as Zionists is we believe Jews should have the same rights as others. Those who oppose that right are, again, by, by textbook definition, anti-Semitic. If you seek to deny the Jews a right that every other nation in the world has, that is literally the definition of anti-Semitism. We need to be saying that. We need to be making that point consistently in every conversation we have about anti-Zionism. We shouldn't be shy about it. We shouldn't pouch it in uh, in, in distortions or in uh, convoluted ways of getting at the truth, we should say anti-Zionism is invariably anti-Semitic. Whether those who regard themselves as anti-Zionists hate Jews or not is a different question, but anti-Zionism as an ideological standpoint is anti-Semitic, and that is a point that we need to be making clear time and time again. Well, Avi, that's the time we have for today. I am um, deeply appreciative uh, for your time. And uh, how can people follow you on social media? Well, you can follow me on, on Twitter at uh, Twitter slash Avi Mayer, or I am on Facebook and Instagram as well. Feel free to follow along and I'd be happy to engage you in any of those platforms. Well, Avi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. 
And that's today's edition of the Honest Report Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our mailing list, our podcast channel, and follow us on social media for the most up-to-date news. If you like what you've heard, please consider a donation to support our continued efforts at www.honestreporting.ca slash donate. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.